welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Marana, host of the show, and it is show number 182. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, uh, happy to be live here on Facebook. Proud member of the Education Podcast Network, as well as Voice Ed Radio Canada. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you are watching live here, uh, certainly jump in the program. Leave us a question. Alex, we're here. Hey. You made it. Yeah. I lost you there for a moment. Yeah, I couldn't hear you or anything was going on. Okay. Did you miss the opening segment? 
Uh, no, I saw part of it. Okay. Well, I apologize for that. Welcome to the program, Alex. Uh, uh, friends and family, this is Alex Calderon, New York City educator. Alex, welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Thank you so much. Uh, since we last talked, I've been uh, clamoring to be on here because I've heard good things about you. <laughs> well, hopefully I could get the technology right and deliver, Alex. But as you were talking off air, it happens, right? Yeah, it happens. It definitely happens. Yeah. Well, Alex, I'm sorry you missed the opening segment because I wanted to start with that and we'll get to know you through the podcast. But I told a story about sharpening your saw, right? Mm -hmm. Educators everywhere in New York City are hammering away, working hard, putting their best forward. And it's very challenging. So let me start with that, Alex. As a teacher in New York City, you know, how are you sharpening your saw? So um, I guess sharpening my saw, I mean, in New York City right now. So um, I think we spoke before off. Uh, uh, I had, I'm definitely sharpening my saw by uh, learning a new content, man, um, and expanding uh, my horizon as a teacher. So right now I'm teaching outside of my content area, which is uh, it's interesting, but it's, it's also a learning experience where I'm just teaching social studies. Uh, fortunately, New York City's have had or has had a max exodus of teachers. There's so many gaps uh, and openings, um, which led me to kind of double dip and now take over this uh, seventh grade social studies cur curriculum. But I'm trying to look at positive, like where you're saying sharp by your saw. I'm sharpening my strength as a teacher and becoming more flexible, adaptable, um, trying to infuse ELA within social studies. And uh, use some social studies to, to the best of my knowledge that I know uh, right now. And right now we're doing a trail of tears. So it's 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 not bad. The kids are I seem there's more I want to say rapport. I think they like me. And uh, sometimes they, they say this is boring. Whenever are going to use this, but I'm using it now. And I don't regret <laughs> paying attention to social studies back when I was their age or when I took some classes on uh, ancient civilizations. And Alex, you're teaching in a middle school. You're playing some different positions. Uh, but one of the reasons we connected, I love what you're trying to do here. You're a first-generation American, uh, Salvadorian descent. You have a podcast. You're teaching. You know, tell me some of the, the some of your goals that you're trying to achieve with the work you're doing outside the classroom with the uh, the first-generation teacher lens. Sure. So uh, with First Gen Teacher Lens, um, it came up about um, I saw on Instagram a bunch of uh, educational podcasts that like are talking about issues in education, but their identities didn't relate to mine. So I was just like, why not? Don't Why not just start it? And I found like other educators that uh, had similar backgrounds um, that led me to connect with different people in terms of like our experience as first generation because like when you're a first generation kid you're experiencing things that you know your family a uh, for me it was like the there was a language barrier so a lot of like the stuff that i was doing to get into college i was doing it on my own in sure. terms of like understanding fafsa understanding uh college tours what's the best uh college situation for me so that's some of the things that I try to get across in the podcast in terms of like some episodes, I may talk about um, issues that pertain to the Latinx community. I may talk about issues that relate to uh, being a first generation teacher and having students who are uh, first generation and like experiencing those sense of self doubt 
where because you don't have uh, parents who are either, you know, formally formally educated as like your peers. And that's that creates some, I want to say, um, underlying anxiety for, for that's what I felt when I was younger, where I was just like, man, all these kids like seem like they're talking about um, even in undergrad, like talking about these high literary canonical texts. I can't do that with my parents because there's there's a there's a distinct gap in the their education. So that's what the the aim of the podcast is to kind of talk about these issues and you know lay some common ground within other folks and then create a conversation that we can expand on. Whether it be again, as I said previously, those Latinx issues or particularly first generation issues, like maybe you feel like the weight has been lifted off your shoulders. You graduated grad school. Now what? Now what the yeah. next steps are, and then move from there. And Alex, uh, you grew up in Salvador. Is, is it uh, Portuguese or Spanish speaking? No, Spanish speaking. Spanish speaking. So you grew up speaking Spanish. Yeah, I was labeled an ESL student um, at PS fifty five, um, and then well, one of my great experiences was I got the fortunate. Fortunately, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of um, bilingual teachers, mm. um, but I had uh, a teacher, I'll never forget her name, Miss Gonzalez. I still have, my mom still has the report card where nice. um, she actually helped me um, develop my English because when I came into school, I was labeled as a non-English speaker because at home, the native tongue was the most, the tongue that was used the most, which was Spanish. Yeah. And I had all the textbooks. It was an ESL student. I had the textbooks in Spanish and in English. I remember carrying them around, um, being pulled out for, um, you know, ESL and or pulled into the resource room and then being broken down, scaffolding, um, things of that nature. So that was great. And that shows one of the benefits of having a diverse staff and staff that can really advocate for, you know, different pockets of communities, which we need more now than ever. Absolutely. Uh, and if you're watching live, please jump in the show, introduce yourself to Alex, and I would love to ask a question and, and, and get involved. Uh, Alex, how did your experience, you know, being a native Spanish speaker and now teaching in New York City, how does that help you uh, right now? And do kids identify you when they know you're a, a fluent Spanish speaker? Um, so it's helped me a lot, uh, particularly in my, my uh, I want to say five years in DOE. I, I use my Spanish to translate um, a lot for transitory services for uh, families who don't know English, um, who need help understanding something that is more uh, communicative in their native tongue. Yeah. Um, so that's how it's helped me in terms of like the kids or even uh, somebody. I'm pretty light skinned for a Latinx guy. Um, so like it, I look racially ambiguous. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> That's what I that's what I get a lot. Like, uh, are you Italian? One there was a rumor when I was in high school. I had an Italian uh, Italian English teacher. We looked pretty similar, and they all there thought I was his son. And then he was like, "I would have had him when I was 12. And like, when I came back to do my observations, they were like, uh, "Like, oh, he's not." And like, you know, but but once um they see my name, and I remember one one instance when I was went back to do observations at my high school when I was first starting my educational career. Sure. Um, one girl said my name phonetically, um, correct in Spanish, Caderon, and then Caderon. she was like, "Oh yeah," she was like, "She something clicked in her head, like, oh, he's 
he's definitely Salvadorian. And then you could see the rapport building right there. And now yeah. I have um, a few Latinx students uh, in this year that like that they they do the same thing. And then the connection is there, and it definitely builds a deeper uh, relationship than just like you know a student to teacher. Now you have that cultural relationship where I can either chop it up in Spanish or in English. And like the kids, it's funny because this the kids know now I've started to figure out by this point that I'm bilingual. So all the all the Latinx kids like, no, please don't call my parents because they know I can either I can <laughs> fluctuate between both, which is which is which is a good thing to to have. So um, you know, it's um it's definitely beneficial. I mean I, I I'm grateful that my mom didn't do what a lot of uh, Latinx communities do mm-hmm. in terms of like just shy away from Spanish, but rather my mother embraced it. And she was like, you have to know both a duality of like, uh, of being, uh, knowing multiple languages is great and it's beneficial for moving on into the 24th century, which is, which is a kudos to her. Cause like a, now I have my uh, bilingual um, extension so I can fluctuate between both, which is great. I see a question. Yeah, awesome. Uh, that's my friend from uh, Kentucky, Owen Saylor. Uh, he was recently on. He's a school leader there. So he, he popped the question there. What advice do you have for school leaders who want to connect with families who want to keep a low profile? A, a low profile? Um, you mean uh, like in terms of like like shy away from issues or... I don't know. I don't know what you're trying to say, Owen. Oh, like, if you can elaborate in low profile. Yeah, is that the, maybe the administrators or the families? Owen, oh, we'll jump. We'll jump back to that. But I appreciate him uh, watching from uh, Kentucky there. But speaking of leadership, right? And and Owen's asking a question about leadership. Alex, you're ready to take the next step. You've been teaching for a number of years, um, but you're looking to get into administration. You're looking to make that leap. Um, you know, where are you in that journey and where do you want to get to? So in the journey right now, um, I've been exploring uh, different um, grad schools for um, administrative uh, programs. Um, I know for sure my, my friend, my uh, who's a teacher in Brooklyn, uh, he's in this um, uh, in this uh, grad program right now that I'm going to go for. And uh, so I'm on like the baby stages, I would say, of like just being an administrator. But I definitely want to um, shadow administrators, maybe hopefully before I go in to the program. But um, I definitely see right now how administrators are dealing with COVID Mm -hmm. and how they're trying to like lead, um, which is making me drive more into that administrative position because I feel like some administrators are being more taxing that they should be even though like because like you know we're back for me we're back in the building I've, i haven't been in an actual physical building since over a year and a half there were some structural problems in my building but um i feel like a lot of educators in new york city because of that virtual gap year whatever because like some schools had the same problems are yeah. instilling more work when it's still not a regular school year and we need to figure out like where do we draw the line from deliverables to kind of over uh 
taxing teachers and and students themselves because the students feel if we feel physically exhausted i'm i'm sure too that's a ripple effect for the students so that's where i'm at administratively just thinking ways that like reflecting upon the ways that i see other administrators act and then you know thinking for the future and then going through those programs well we wish you luck with that there's a lot of leaders who watch the program alex we'll push it out and uh, certainly look to build a support system for you. Uh, but back to Owen's question, he's talking about maybe migrant uh, uh, families, maybe maybe people who are not uh, uh, legal citizens that maybe want to mm -hmm. keep low profile. So what would you recommend, Alex, uh, uh, for someone who wants to build those relationships with that family, but knowing that the family is trying to remain low profile? That's what he was asking. Thank you, Owens, for your question. So that's a good question, Owen. Um, so um, for leaders, definitely um, build a community of comfort where, you know, because I have family members, for example, my uncle who is not, who has this residency. There's, there's, And then learn about the, I want to say, the different types of like residency. For example, there's TPS, temporary protected status for people who have been displaced from their home country and their feelings and sentiments of that because like the TPS is an ongoing thing with the government that they can cancel once the expiration date hit. So a lot of, particularly I know in the Salvadorian community, a lot of Salvadorians, Nicaraguans are fearful of that because like, they, like oh, once that ends, I, I technically don't, I'm not, I'm illegal here. So definitely learn the, the rhetoric of, uh, of like, you know, immigration status and, um, be forthcoming if they have questions, concerns, definitely be blunt with them in terms of like, you know, oh, if because uh, I know in my community, particularly, a lot of parents have this fear of even showing up to the schools mm. because they, they there's this fear of like, hey, if I show up to school and like they ask me for these things, will 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 that affect me in a way? For example, right, if you're undocumented, right and that you need proof of evidence of address, right? You can still get these things like bills and stuff like that without having, you know, um, an actual um, ID, like a driver's license, some of that. So make sure that is communicated with them. Like um, you could send like maybe a letter out or if you know some parents that like, if you have maybe a small pocket of parents, maybe have like somebody that um, is knowledgeable about these issues and like ha just talk to them because that's a big fear like a big fear of like you know registration registration for your kid i need all these bills right how am i going to get them and that's a great misconception that you need to be um have some legal documentation to provide to provide like proof of address um and just just be candid with them and you know break that barrier or fear of and misconception because that definitely as a, a son of immigrants there's a lot of misconceptions within um uh i want to say the social sphere um of immigration that definitely needs to be talked about yeah and then migrant status if again respect it like if you if if they don't want to talk about it then um that's all within their right because there is this fear of like going back um and you know leaving their kids alone because technically their kids their kids are American citizens. And there's always that fear of uh, like, oh, if I leave, who is going to take care of my next of kin? Um, and that's that's an honest, real fear. I remember um, a couple of years ago, um, I had to be like 
three three years ago they they were getting rid of uh tps for uh, um, salvadorians and it was like a 200k salvadorians who have tps and it's wow. it's been ongoing because of uh natural disasters there's a volcano and um you know the fear was um hey how do i protect my livelihood not only that but more so my family so yeah. Definitely find somebody to that can communicate with those issues. Maybe it could be uh, uh, an immigration attorney because a lot of um, uh, in the Latinx community, um, some of them get confused between a notary because a notario technically is an attorney in Latin America and notary is obviously different here. And some people get swindled by it. So mm -hmm. definitely gets like it, information is key. You can come say hello. My daughter was listening. She was curious about you, Alex. She wanted to meet today's guest. This is Hi. this is Tessa. Uh, That's Alex. And here comes Ruby. This is the what happens when you do the podcast at home, uh, Alex. Yeah. This is such a great topic to talk about. And I know being a culturally responsive educator is so important to you. Um, and it really it needs to be talked about more. You know, tell me you just told some great experiences there. Um, did you experience, you know, racism when you were growing up? And now how, again, does that help you to become more uh, culturally responsive? Um, not growing up, more so in um, when I was in in uh, undergrad, I want to say. Um, I had where'd you, a, where'd you go to college? I went to SUNY Geneseo and Queens oh, yeah. College. Okay. Um, I went SUNY Geneseo was upstate, and it was more predominantly uh white white um and then yeah so and and asian um as opposed to queen's college it was completely a different it was like 360 closer to the city uh a lot multicultural because queen's borough is like one of the most um because i grew up in queen's one of the most diverse um uh kind of boroughs is out there there's a lot of pockets of different culture you can find all types of food out here but um yeah in in undergrad you know um, whenever I say like, um, I'm Salvadorian or from where I'm from, um, <clears throat> which was a small town also in Long Island. So I grew up between Long Island and Queens, but it was notoriously known for, um, uh, MS-13 uh, activity, which is primarily like Salvadorian. But like, again, that was like, it's scapegoats, like kind of like your identity within itself. So not necessarily when I was growing up because I grew up mainly with fellow Salvadorians and uh, in terms of my schooling. Uh, but definitely when I was in, in undergrad, I definitely experienced uh, kind of this scapegoat and scapegoating and like uh, like stereotype where it was just like, oh, you're Salvadorian. You must have have to like have this association within this gang affiliation, which isn't, it's, it's not true. It's, uh, it is a problem, but it's not, uh, you know, not all Salvadorians like have that association. It's just become notorious. Oh, did I lose you? No, you're back. No, I'm back. Can I hear you? Can you, yeah, hear, me? you, can you hear me? Yeah, I can I hear you. I lost your sound. Did you? There's always something here being live on, on, uh, on the podcast. <clears throat> can you hear me? No, I can't hear you. If you no. want to leave and come back, why don't yeah. you leave and come back? I appreciate this topic of conversation with uh, Alex. 
and different people's experiences. Uh, being a culturally responsive educator uh, is so important. There you are, Alex. Let me get you back in here. Uh, hey, we got I'm you. Back. He's back. He's back. Yeah, I, I lost my. I saw you, but I was just like, I'm not sure why my sound is working. It's all good. We'll keep rolling through the hurdles, just like educators are doing uh, everywhere. Um, but Alex, it's it's a Where do you go? Do I have to log out? Uh, as you move forward in your journey that you say, ah, you know, I'm not the best writer. I'm not the best speaker. Hmm. I couldn't hear you. Sorry. Yeah, I lost you. I was I was asking you what's a what's a concern you have, Alex, as you move towards your administrative degree, as you move in your leadership journey. What's something that you may my connection seems fine. Uh, I'm not sure where Andrew is. I can't see him. Do, 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 do. Let me try again. It says I'm on. I'm not sure. Host joined. Uh, says I'm live. I don't know if anybody hears me. If anybody in the chat, if you guys hear me, just let me know.
Thank you.